This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream that I think you're really going to enjoy. So there was some big news out of New Mexico last week. Uh, the governor, or here recently, the governor of that state, declared an emergency uh, to ban the carrying of guns, both concealed and open carry, inside the largest city of that state, Albuquerque, as well as the, the surrounding county there. So she went ahead and decided that she's just going to suspend these rights, right? There's, there's these, uh, you know, there's this standard already in place about how you can carry a firearm, why you can carry a firearm, what licenses are, in place everything that's needed that kind of thing and she's just going to suspend all of that without any kind of due process it's just a executive fiat saying nope uh guns we're not having them here she doesn't like the amount of violence there there were too many shootings and so she says uh it doesn't matter if you're a law-abiding citizen it doesn't matter if you are legally carrying a gun uh, concealed or openly uh i am banning all guns inside this city and the surrounding county to reduce gun violence there. Now, very interestingly, very interestingly, the way she did this was by invoking a public health emergency. That, that's going to be really critical as we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of this, because what we're going to notice is she's invoking the same architecture that one might use for something like COVID. Uh, so, someone who is looking at this could very easily understand how this is an extension of the precedents that are already been established through something like the pandemic to shut down constitutional rights, to shut down established norms, to shut down due process, and to go ahead and impose a political uh, kind of theory on how things should be done without any kind of legislative input, any kind of judicial input, just directly pushing that through using the emergency power granted to the executive under uh, these these kind of health concern issues under those kind of emergencies. Now, while that is interesting, and we will get into that, the real meat of this podcast is not going to be whether or not that ban is constitutional. It, it's not. We'll get into why. But that's not the real issue. The thing that really got people fired up, the thing that really got people uh, angry on the internet was actually a post by Michael Knowles. He's over at the Daily Wire. I've been on the show before. He seems like a, a nice guy. But uh, he has, he has uh, I think, a more nuanced view of government power than most conservatives uh, who are just like small government at all times. Constitution defends all of my rights at all times. And he went on to make an assertion uh, you know, un I'll just read it out here. Unpopular opinion, civil leaders do in fact have emergency authority to suspend temporarily any or many legal rights. Now, a lot of people got angry thinking that was him endorsing the actions of the New Mexico governor. It was not. And uh, we'll kind of get into why that is. But I wrote a thread explaining the mechanism of this. Again, 
I don't think that what the New Mexico governor did is okay. I don't think it's justifiable. I think there are a lot of issues here. But a lot of people got very angry at first Michael Knowles and then me for pointing out uh, the kind of the mechanism of what is happening here. I think Knowles is on a little shakier ground, kind of given he he seemed to almost back it up in some ways. He's like, I disagree with her in this particular instance, but you know they have the authority. My point was more whether or not they have the formal authority. Here's how this actually works. But that made people very angry on the internet at me. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to jump in. I'm going to go through some of this uh, thread. I'm going to explain the state of exception, how this happens, uh, why we need to understand this this specific aspect of constitutional order and political power. Because if we don't understand why this is happening, we don't really have an understanding of how we could push back against it. You can be really angry about some of the truths contained here, but being angry at them won't help you when it comes to actually combating this stuff. You're just going to angrily yell into the void. Uh, so I want to talk about how this works, why it works. But before we do that, guys, let's go ahead and hear from today's sponsor. Universities today aren't just neglecting real education. They're actively undermining it, and we can't let them get away with it. America was made for an educated and engaged citizenry. The Intercollegiate Studies Institute is here to help. ISI offers programs and opportunities for conservative students across the country. ISI understands that conservatives and right-of-center students feel isolated on college campuses and that you're often fighting for your own reputation, dignity, and future. Through ISI, you can learn about what Russell Kirk called the permanent things, the philosophical and political teachings that shaped and made Western civilization great. ISI offers many opportunities to jumpstart your career. They have fellowships at some of the nation's top conservative publications like National Review, The American Conservative, and The College Thinker. If you're a graduate student, ISI offers funding opportunities to sponsor the next great generation of college professors. Through ISI, you can work with conservative thinkers who are making a difference. Thinkers like Chris Rufo, who currently has an ISI researcher helping him with his book. But perhaps most importantly, ISI offers college students a community of people that can help them grow. If you're a college student, ISI can help you start a student organization or a student newspaper or meet other like-minded students at their various conferences and events. ISI is here to educate the next generation of great Americans. To learn more, go to ISI.org. That's ISI.org. All right, guys. So like I said, I'm going to go ahead and read out uh, some of this uh, thread for people who aren't familiar with my Twitter, who didn't catch it, whatever. And then I'm going to explain, I'm going to expand on kind of the situation we're in, why this matters. Now, before we get into this, I want to once again stress, I do not believe that the governor of New Mexico should have done this. I do not believe she's inside her constitutional authority. I don't, I do think that what she did does violate the second amendment. I do think that you're probably going to see this get pushed back in the courts. Unfortunately, the courts do not always actually enforce, uh, you know, the, the rights in the Constitution. They often subvert them. I think in the, this case, you will see that. I think the Supreme Court especially is pretty good on this stuff. Uh, we've already seen the sheriff of the county that Albuquerque is located in say he will not enforce this order because it is unconstitutional. Now, that matters a lot. I'm going to explain why that's a critical thing to understand when we talk about the state of exception. However, I just want to, before we get, you know, before the outrage flows at the very beginning, before everyone's really fired up, I want to make it clear, I'm not on the side of this woman. I'm not on the side of this decision. However, 
a lot of people got angry at Michael Knowles for kind of making this assertion. And while I think it's a little dodgy in, in kind of its very short form, I am going to make a case for while, while I may not agree with her actions here, there is a, a truth to the mechanical nature of politics. Again, we're not talking about some platonic idea of how politics should work or how you want it to work or how constitutional government in, you know, the, in the abstract and a perfect world works. I'm, I'm mostly Machiavellian guys. That that's the school of political uh, analysis. I come from, I want to look at elite theory. I want to look at uh, Machiavellian understandings of this. How does this actually work? And why does somebody like the governor of New Mexico so often get away with this? I don't think she's going to get away with this, but I mean, she invoked a public health ban, which would have worked for the pandemic, right? So maybe she won't get away with this because she's just touching something that is more sacred to people in theory, which is their Second Amendment rights, than I guess the right for them to walk out of their house. I'm not sure why that's more sacred to people, but but it seems like it is. But either way, we're going to talk about why the sacredness of that belief is more important than the paper it's written on here as we get into the state of exception. All right. so. Like I said, beginning of the thread, uh, Michael Knowles makes the unpopular assertion that civil leaders do, in fact, have the emergency authority to suspend tem uh, temporarily many legal rights. So let's get into the thread here where I explain the state of exception. So no system of government is perfect, which means no constitution can predict every eventuality. Exceptions will always exist, and the rules of the system cannot, by definition, include their exceptions. Uh, now I'm going to be Drawing heavily from the work of Carl Schmidt here, that's going to get some people with their knickers in a twist. I get it. Carl Schmidt's not a nice guy. He's right about this. So let's just understand the truth here. You can hate Carl Schmidt and you'll be right about that, but we still need to understand what's happening here. So um, no system of government is perfect, which means no constitution can predict every eventuality. Exceptions will always exist and the rules of the system cannot by definition include those exceptions. So a lot of people, especially conservatives really like to think that um, a lot of people, especially conservatives, really like to think that the Constitution is just kind of this perfect machine. It, it's, it's carefully manufactured by the founders and it's set in motion and it's, uh, you know, it's always balancing itself. It's, all, it's got all the right aspects and it understands everything about uh, kind of human nature. And so it will always fix itself in kind of in perpetuity. It will always apply exactly the same way all the time. Like basically the, they see the constitution as just uh, this amazing piece of political technology that kind of just solved governance forever. But that's the wrong way to understand constitutional government. Constitutions are really a reflection of kind of the traditions and folkways of the people. They're, they're a formal instantiation of the beliefs of the people and the way that they would naturally govern themselves. So the constitution does not create the country. The constitution does not create the people. The people create the constitution. The country creates the constitution. And so because of that fact, no constitution will ever be perfect. It will never you know, uh, figure out everything that's going to happen forever in human history. Human history is not over. It did not stop during the Enlightenment, and it didn't stop during 1779, and it didn't stop uh, now. You know, it, it, humans will change. They will grow. Human nature will have eternal truths about it, which is where we can draw many of our understandings of law and the way constitutions and countries should be formed. 
but it will not it does not mean that humanity will always be exactly the same the fate the problems that it always faces will always be the same there will always be unpredicted eventualities that will always happen and by definition no system can predict exceptions to that system like just that's that's what that means right if you have a system and there's an exception to it that exception has to be outside of the system and so that's why you have leadership roles like anybody inside a you know a bureaucracy or or anything else that operates on a set of rules understands this right you have uh you know a, a set of systems and they might be really resilient they might be very very well thought out they might be very carefully uh set up and they have a a, a flow of procedure but inevitably something no matter how good that system is and how often it can of return answers for whatever you're doing eventually a question is going to come up that that system is not prepared for and in that moment that's when you need leadership right leadership is just an eternal fact of human existence you will always need leaders because there will always be something new there will always be exceptions and so because of that no system can completely predict this no constitution will ever completely predict what's going to happen so back to our thread here when an emergency arises, the system will enter a state of exception, a time in which some or all procedural norms are suspended. Now, I, I really should have said uh, will often or can enter a state of exception. That doesn't always have to be the case. The state of emergency does not always generate a state of exception. However, it often does. And when that happens, again, by definition, we're outside the system. And when we're outside the system, that means that the normal rules, the normal protections will in some way fall into question. Now you can say, but they should never fall into question. That can't be true. That, you know, these things are eternal. Okay. I, I'm not arguing any of that, but that does happen. And it happens all the time. And we'll talk about specific examples of when that happened in a, a second. But, but saying things should happen or should be does not make them true it doesn't make them what we are they might be things we want to strive for we might want to avoid the state of exception as often as possible that's a perfectly reasonable thing to assume but that does not mean we do that does not mean that's not does not mean that's just a truth in which humans exist we have to look at the reality around us if we want to be able to solve the problems that we are facing the frankly the constitutional crises that are coming quick and and you know very often in our current scenario and so uh, when we're looking at this, I want us to understand that, again, we're working with what's true and observable, not what we would like to be true or what we hope to be an eternal truth or a truth that we want to strive after, right? Because what, what we're doing here is a mechanical understanding of kind of how this works. So some, uh, some systems attempt to prepare for this eventuality by having procedures for entering the state of exception. Ancient Rome had an office of dictator that could be assigned to solve a specific crisis with sweeping powers, but only for a limited time. So, can a constitution prepare for everything? No. But can a constitution pre prepare in some ways for times where it won't apply? Well, yes, it can. In fact, uh, you know, there are uh, places like Rome, there are you know, systems like the ancient Roman system. They had a specific office. We think of dictators just a tyrant, right? Somebody who just comes in and does whatever they want, has unlimited power. Uh, they just come in and kind of blow things up and, and, and rule with an iron fist. But that's actually not the original meaning of the office of dictator. So Romans were ruled by two consuls. They got elected every year. And then they were ruled by a senate, right? And a bunch of other 
uh, kind of uh, of other bodies, but we'll we'll make it as easy as we can for the moment. So the, they had these two consoles and they had a Senate. Now the two co consoles were basically like kind of um, co presidents or really in some ways co kings, right? But they still had to work with the Senate and they had to work with each other. So their power was checked in that way. However, the Romans understood that in times of crisis, right when there are, uh, there's a, there's a a war that they can't handle when there's a famine that they can't handle, when there's some kind of thing that requires immediate action and we don't have time for the consuls to agree with each other and we don't have time for the senators to agree with each other, we just need to take action. They had a way to turn power over to a guy called a dictator. Now, the dictator had a limited time, usually six months, in which he was in power. And the dictator did not have unlimited power. But he did have far more executive authority and immediate wielding of that authority than the consuls or the Senate had by themselves. And so basically the dictator's job was to go in and he had a specific problem. The dictator wasn't allowed to like completely remake everything about Rome. His job wasn't to go and fix every policy he didn't like about the government. He had a very specific job, which is I need to fix this emergency. And then he's supposed to give up power, right? now. That didn't always happen, but there's, for instance, famous stories like Cincinnatus. Cincinnatus is one of the guys who was given the dictatorship of Rome twice, actually, and he stepped away from it. He's famous for stepping away from it. Everybody wanted him to be king. He did such a great job when he was dictator. Everybody wanted to be king, but he refused to be king. And instead, he stepped away and went back to, you know, kind of his uh, his uh, villa and, and his farm and, and back to like where he had come from. He's famous for that reason. That's actually one of the reasons that Cincinnati, Ohio, is named uh, Cincinnati. It's named after Cincinnatus. And it's actually an ode to George Washington, who is seen as having done a similar thing, right? George Washington, uh, you know, he, he steps down after two, after two presidents, uh, presidential terms, basically could have been dictator for life, basically could have been effectively king just by a different name. But no, he says, it's more important for me to uh, hand over power create this precedent that people will follow all the way up to FDR. And uh, I, and so therefore uh, I will step down and that's kind of where that name Cincinnatus Cincinnati come, came from. It's a, it's a, it's an ode to him. So Cincinnatus is a famous dictator who steps down. Now, again, over time, this breaks down over time. The, the dictators do not do this. You start getting guys like Sulla, you got get start getting people like Caesar, who are named dictator for life, breaking the meaning of the office, right? And so the 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 tradition, the restraints on the office eventually fall away, right? And those people start disrespecting what the the purpose of the office was. However, that's not that's not because the law really changed. It's because the traditions of the people fell away and they were less resistant to the idea of a dictator. Right. So it didn't really matter that the that the kind of the law or the, the regulations of Rome limited the power or the scope or the continuation of dictatorship because the people were no longer willing to enforce it because the elites of the society were no longer to ready to enforce that restriction. The ability of the dictator to use the state of exception grew and grew and grew until basically it just became de facto king. Right. Even though the the Romans said they'd never have a king again. It basically became a de facto uh, king, right? And so 
again, the Constitution, the formal legality of the thing, less important than the actual way in which the people are willing to express their restrictions, put their own beliefs above kind of the power and will of their uh, uh, of their leaders, right? So that, that's really key here. All right, so back to our thread. States of exception are viewed with skepticism and with good reason. They are rife for abuse, but they are far more common than those who uh, than those who believe in rule of law would like to admit. So people are really totally justified in their concern about the state the state of exception. That is a reasonable concern for you to have, right? Even you, John Q. The talk radio conservative guy like that is a perfectly reasonable thing for you to be worried about however there's something that's just true which is that we have far more states of exception than we'd like we like to talk about rule of law we like to talk about how nobody is above a law but the truth is that actually we enter into state of, of exception far more frequently than we're comfortable with and again lying about that point to ourselves demanding that that not be true does not change our reality, right? So if we, again, want to understand what's happening to us and why, we need to talk about what is real, what is true, what is observable, and what is happening, and not the way that we think things should be. Now, we can have the way that we think things should be inform our next steps, but they should not blind us to the realities around us that should also inform our next steps, right? Both of these things need to be true. All right, so back to our thread again. Lincoln and FDR ruled in an almost constant state of exception, remaking the entire country as they went. Both are remembered fondly despite their willingness to operate an imperial presidency. People might say that they prefer rule of law, but, histor but history belongs to the victors. All right, so this is just true, man. <laughs> like, however you feel about Abraham Lincoln and FDR, right? Like, these two people are often lionized right they're heroes of the right and left respectively most of the time these these are the greatest figures and whether you're the the GOP or the Democrats and you you see these people as like the leaders of your party the best exemplars of your party they're also the people who broke the constitution in half most often they're the people who are most willing to have an imperial presidency to ignore your constitutional rights to remake the country in their own vision that's just true okay Look at Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln suspended habeas corpus. Abraham Lincoln uh, imprisoned journalists. Some people might feel, you know, uh, uh, an appreciation for that. But but either way, that's that's certainly something he did. Abraham Lincoln imprisoned political opponents. Abraham Lincoln broke up uh, disbanded state legislatures. He didn't like shut them down. Like this, these are things that are just true about Abraham Lincoln. Got rid of got rid of newspapers he didn't like. Right. This is just true about Abraham Lincoln. Okay. That that is the case. Now you might say all these things were necessary. You might be right, but all you're talking about is the state of exception, right? You're saying, oh, well, this is civil war. These things don't apply. Okay, fair enough. But all you're doing is endorsing the truth of the state of exception. You're saying Lincoln had an entire, had a justifiable right to go in and do all of those things. And uh, because of, because of the scenario, you're just saying the state of exception is real and the state of exception is justifiable. And a lot of conservatives who got very angry at me and very angry at Michael Knowles would say exactly that, right? They'd say exactly that. They'd say, 
Uh, yeah, no, Lincoln is one of our best presidents. Why? Oh, well, he won the Civil War. How do you win the Civil War? Oh, well, he, I mean, he did a lot of things. Did he suspend all this stuff? Did he get rid of all these rights? Well, yeah, but he had to. Okay, so you're angry at Knowles and I for pointing out the state of exception, but you're still holding this, right? They like, they, they have this cognitive dissonance that the kind of the, the, the uh, tyranny of Lincoln is fine, right? But the tyranny of the new Mexico governor is not. They're both suspending these rights. Now, maybe the context is key, right? It probably is, right? But you again, that's just about the context. That's not about the truth about what's actually being done here, right? The, the truth is that in either, way, either case, these people are suspending constitutional rights. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Because they feel it's politically necessary and they want to use that ability to do something politically, right? And that's just true. Same thing with FDR, right? FDR, I mean, he completely lied about his intentions in his, uh, you know, in his platform, uh, you know, his, his, uh, his acceptance speech is just insane. His inauguration speech is just insane. If you kind of read it, uh, you know, he, he did all kinds of things that are now uh, maybe a little more frowned upon, right? Uh, uh, you know, he interned entire ethnic populations or large chunks of ethnic populations, again, just due to their skin color, right? Uh, or due to their ethnic background. Uh, um, that that one gets a little more heat than it used to because it fits into our current narrative of kind of uh, racism and and minority oppression. So people are 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 a little more willing to speak out about that aspect of FDR uh, than they used to be. However, they still love him, right? They still hold him up as this like scion. If anybody else had had literally just gulagged all of the uh, you know kind of Asian Americans and some of the German Americans in the United States, uh, that would probably be a problem, right? But it's FDR. And he's, he's kind of part of this post-World War II lionization of the United States. So the fact that he kind of did this thing that would otherwise be, I mean, if, if Trump or Bush or somebody did that, that would you know, be, be the worst war crime that ever happened for hundreds of years. But now we just kind of, you know, stick it in the, in, in the lower part of the, the history stack when we teach about FDR and World, and World War II. But either way, the point is, like, these guys just violated, uh, you know, the Constitution pretty blatantly with large amount of support from the population and a large amount of praise through history. So once again, you can say, shouldn't have done that. All of this should have been constitutional. All of this should have been done formally. All of this should have gone through, you know, uh, the, 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 the different legal routes and it should, there should have been legislation should have been due process. There should have been court hearings. Fine. Okay. But shoulda doesn't answer our historical question and it doesn't tell us about what's happening today. So you can you can say all of this stuff is a violation and you're against all of it. Great. I'm glad you're ideologically consistent, but you still need to look at the truth that this happens and we need to understand why. All right. So FDR, Lincoln, you get the idea. The truth is that even uh, that when everything hits the fan, people prefer decisive action to careful deliberation. We generally reason away the exception after the fact, right? It's fine. Lincoln gets rid of his political enemies. He jails people without trial. He shuts down newspapers. He shuts down democracy. That's fine because he saved the the republic, right? That's the 
did he save the republic i don't know i'll, I'll let you decide but uh, that's the argument that gets made right is like it's fine right because after the fact he's justified in all these things that's just true about humanity we like people who act now we like people who make decisions in a moment of crisis uh, we prefer strong leaders who take decisive action and we kind of go back and justify the things they did afterwards. That's just a true thing about us, right? Lincoln, FDR, Biden had to imprison their political opponents slash uh, inter immigrants slash jail journalists, right? That's, that's just the truth. And if you don't think that history will look back at Joe Biden imprisoning Donald Trump as favorably as it does FDR imprisoning, you know, people or, or uh, you know, Lincoln imprisoning people, a little, little less with FDR again, because the, the, the ethnic component, the racial component has suddenly made that a, a less popular move. But if you, if you think that history will not look back on some of those actions and praise them, then you haven't paid, look, paid attention to history. If you think there's just an inevitable arrow of history where everyone will look back and see Joe Biden, or at least Joe Biden's administration, I don't think Joe Biden makes almost any decisions. But if you don't think that history will look back and see the imprisonment of all these people as justifiable, I think you, you might be not paying attention to the reality of politics. Like you might be leaning too far on what you want to be true or what you hope to be true or what you're taught should be true as opposed to what's actually happening. Doug Mackey is, is going to be in jail for 10 years for making a meme, probably, right? We just had uh, Owen Schreier from uh, InfoWars. He's going to jail. Luckily, it's only for 90 days, but still, he's going to jail. Or 60 days, I think. 90 days, 60 days. Either way, he's sentenced to jail for standing outside of the Capitol on January 6th and using his free speech, right? Maybe you don't like what he says. Totally reasonable. But obviously, like, this is something that would have been allowed. I mean, the guy's basically just putting Thomas Jefferson, no matter how you feel about that. That's kind of just the case. And he's going to go to prison, right? For, for why? Well, because he's a political enemy of Joe Biden, right? His free speech doesn't mean anything. And, and that's, that's just the case, right? Maybe, maybe eventually something will get overturned somewhere, but by then he'll probably have served the time. Either way, his life will have been destroyed by all of the court cases and legal defenses and all the money. And that's really the thing people have to understand is the process is the punishment, right? Trump, Giuliana, Giuliani, uh, Jenna Ellis, like all these people who are being put under uh, the thumb of the regime, they're being told to sit down because, uh, you know, they, they're going to have to face this legal defense. They're going to have to pay for it. They're going to have to go through all this. And even if they win these cases, which is no guarantee that they will, they'll still have basically had their lives and their finances destroyed. And so you have to understand that, like, even if for a moment the you know, the, the Constitution wins, if the majority of the process is still owned by your enemies, it can lose. Look at the masterpiece cake guy, right? He's won multiple, uh, you know, Supreme Court cases at this point. He's still getting harassed. He's still being targeted by hateful people. He's still being uh, asked to keep making these cakes. He's still being brought to court over it. You know, his legal defense, all of these things, his time, he's still being persecuted, despite even the Supreme Court speaking on it. Same thing when it comes to gun reform, right? We have D.C. versus Heller. We know that people have the right to own a gun, right? That, that is solved. There's an individual right in the Constitution to own a gun. We have the Supreme Court case. We have that. We know it's true. And guess what? A lot of states just ignore it. The city of New York just ignores this, right? They just don't care, right? And so the fact that, the, that this has actually been locked in, that we've gone through the formal process, that we've, that we've secured 
the the rulings and the, and the things that should make this clear and defend these rights it doesn't matter they still get violated right and that's because you don't own every piece of the process and unfortunately just owning one piece of the formal process is not enough when people are dedicated to destroying this and they don't care so again we want to separate what we want to be true from what is true and the truth is that no matter how you feel about constitutional rights and whether or not they can be violated in theory in practice they are all the time usually with very little consequence to the people who do it and great consequence to the people they're targeting and so while it's nice that the constitution says those things and it might be important the constitution says those things if nobody's willing to enforce them if nobody's willing to defend them if the people at large don't believe in them in a way that actually defends them then they don't matter and that's tough to hear but it's also true and I'm not here to lie to you. What's the point? There's plenty of people who are going to do that to make you feel better. I'm not going to do that. That's just not true. All right. So let's go ahead and continue with the thread. Uh, the question is not, will these states of exception happen? But when, they will ha but when they will happen, how long they will take place and how far they will go. All right. So again, we can't predict everything that's going to happen. States of exception will be declared. If you don't think they're not declared, you literally just live through COVID. So I don't really have a whole lot of patience for people who are telling me that can't happen in the United States. Guys, the whole reason I'm here talking to you is because of the lockdowns and, and the riots that came after. That's the whole reason I started my YouTube channel. The whole reason I started my book. The whole reason I started my Twitter was I watched what happened. I had spent my entire life believing what I was told by conservative talk radio what I was told in my history class, what I was told by people around me that the Constitution was going to stop this stuff. And it does not. Okay? It does not. I'm sorry. I wish it did. I believed in it. I, I believed it through and through. And then I watched my conservative and libertarian friends come up with every reason why they had to comply, every reason why this stuff was okay, every reason why the Constitution wasn't for this moment. And everyone just kind of bent the knee. You know? And so here we are. Um, and so, uh, you know, we just need to understand state of exceptions happen. This is true. This is where we are. So if we know that state of exceptions happen, the question is, how long will they take place and how far will they go? If a state of exception occurs, if emergencies are declared and the government attempts to suspend your rights, as Michael Knowles uh, said, that they kind of have the right to in certain scenarios, the question is, how long can it happen and how far can they go? And this is the real question. This is where me and Knowles might uh, might part ways because I'm I'm not really supporting kind of uh, the the power wielded by the next New Mexico governor. But again, I'm trying to explain how it happened and why it happened. So let's go ahead and jump in here. So Carl Schmidt famously said, "The sovereign is he who decides on the exception." If you want to understand who's really in charge of a system, look at the person who can decide when the rules of that system are suspended. Okay. So we have a system. We're supposed to have popular sovereignty, right? The people are in charge. Kind of an oxymoron. Um, uh, it's like sovereign citizen. You can't be both sovereign and subject. Uh, and you can't have the, a populace that completely governs itself. That's just not how government works. However, this is the idea, right? That we have popular sovereignty. However, that really means that what we have is a constitution that's supposed to be sovereign. But who decides how that constitution gets applied? Ah, there's the rub, right? That's where the rubber actually meets the road. Yeah, in theory, the constitution just operates 
um, kind of at the top uh, and everyone kind of kneels to it. But the truth is that actually the Constitution has to be applied to real people in real time. Okay. And because it has to be applied to real people in real time, it is interpreted. Uh, a lot of originalists are not going to like that point, but it's true. All constitutions are living constitutions. I'll say that again so everyone can be mad at me. All constitutions are living constitutions. Yes, I agree that it is more important most of the time to adhere to the words on the paper as opposed to how you currently feel about any given scenario. But the reality is that all constitutional law is interpreted. That all uh, all law has to flow through norms and customs and the reality of the time in which they are applied. A lot of people are going to say, oh, that sounds postmodern, man. That sounds relativist. Okay, but here we are. So let, let's take a look at this, right? And in that scenario, if the, if the uh, Constitution can be suspended, the question is who can suspend it, right? Who has the power to decide when we are in the state of exception? So if you want to understand who's really in power, it's not the people, sorry. It's not even necessarily Congress or the, the people that are elected. It's the, it's the person or the groups that can decide the state of exception. They can decide when the Constitution stops working, when those rights are suspended, and when something else is the new standard. Now, you may not like that that happens. I don't like that that happened. I certainly don't like that it happened here in New Mexico or during the pandemic, but it did happen. So here we are. We need to talk about why, right? So here's the one that got everybody angry. Here's, here's the one that really got uh, people fired up. Can rights be suspended in a state of exception? Of course. I don't say this as an endorsement of the power. I don't say this as an approval of the power. I don't say this as the way I wish the world was or the way I think that system should work. I say this as somebody who can simply observe the world around me. And if the question is, can rights be suspended in an emergency uh, under the state of exception? The obvious answer is yes, it happens all the time. You just live through two years plus of it. So it's not a question of if it happens, it's not a question of can it happens. It's a question of it will happen. Why? Right. So a lot of people angry about that. They're like, oh, you don't, you don't understand about natural rights. You don't understand about God-given rights. You don't understand about John Locke and, the, and, and Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, I, I understand all that, guys, but I also have eyeballs and ears. So I see the world around me, and I see that these things are not being defended. They are being suspended. So let's talk about why. Rights aren't magic, and they don't exist on a piece of paper. Constitution has never defended any of your rights. Sorry, Constitution has never defended any of your rights. They are a reflection of the traditions and folkways that a people hold sacred. Okay, here's the key phrase that a lot of people didn't pay attention to. They just saw the first part of this sentence and they didn't see the second part and they thought that was the end of it, right? So, Rights aren't magic, they don't exist in a piece of paper. Does that mean I'm saying rights don't exist or does that mean that I'm saying rights can't be defended? No. What I am saying is that they can only be protected by a people who hold those rights sacred. As my buddy Steve Day says, we are a nation, we are not a nation of laws and we never will be. We are always a, a nation of political will and we always will be, okay? 
I'm sorry, but the thing that protects your rights is not the Constitution. It's not the Bill of Rights. It's not the formal letter of the law written down on pieces of paper. What protects your rights is the tradition and the community that exercises it. If the people around you believe in rights, they will be protected. And if the people around you don't believe in rights, they won't be protected. They have to hold these things sacred. Again, a lot of people got angry. They're like, you don't believe that rights come from God? I didn't say that. What I said was they'll only be protected if they are if they are held sacred, which means they probably need to be treated like they came from God, right? That's just the case, okay? So we need to understand that this is going to be our situation. Either you hold this sacred or you don't. And if your community does hold this sacred, then they agree to certain things. And if they don't hold the sacred, then they don't. And if you if you think I'm wrong about this, if you think it's the letter of the law of the Constitution that actually protects things and not what the beliefs of the people that are held sacred, let me just give you a basic example, right? Uh, the the um, Declaration of Independence, written by Thomas Jefferson, mainly other people, but Thomas Jefferson is widely credited. It's basically just ripping off a bunch of John Locke, right? Uh, uh, th this is just a bunch of John Locke and John Locke is one of these guys that comes up with all of these natural rights, right? Life, liberty, and property got changed to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. However, that's what we derive a lot of our freedoms from, right? Our bill of rights, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press, all those nice things, the five freedoms in the first amendment and everything that follows. We get this from the ideas of John Locke. Well, guess what John Locke believed about speech? He believed you should ban atheists from your community. <laughs> he didn't think they should hold power. He didn't think they should hold influence, right? So John Locke, the, the foundation of English liberalism, the, the classical liberal scion, the, the, the touch point for freedoms, he didn't believe that atheists should hold sway over your society because he can't trust them, right? They don't know, uh, they can't swear oaths, right? That was like a big thing for him. They can't, how can you trust a guy who can't swear oaths, right? And so uh, they, so, so this is his understanding of freedom of speech. That's what he thought about freedom of speech. So when we look at our understanding of that, it doesn't even jive with the people who founded the country, probably who believed in a lot of this stuff, right? Now, in many ways, this means this is based on the fact that like norms change. So for instance, um, you probably didn't need a law against like atheists or blasphemy, um, you know, in, in kind of the early uh, United States, because like everyone already agreed on that. You already had a general understanding of kind of this Protestant Christianity and that informed the worldview. And the vast majority of people just would not have done that anyway. Right. However, we can't just take our modern conceptions and our especially our secular conceptions of liberty and liberalism, which is basically just do whatever you want. You have no duty and you have no bonds. We can't take that and superimpose it onto the founders because that's not what they believed, right? John Adams said the Constitution is good for moral religious people and it can't govern anybody else. Well, what if you aren't a moral and religious people? How does the Constitution work then? We don't want to ask that question, right? Because that 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 has a much wider uh, you know, <laughs> implication that we don't want to talk about. So we we love the founding fathers, but we just ignore a lot of the things they say. Right. Uh, we, we love to talk about the, the, the founding fathers and what they believe. Well, we sure do ignore a lot of it so that we can comply with current modern secular standards and understandings of liberty. 
Um, and so a lot of people like to play that shell game uh, where they say they're conservatives who love the founding fathers, uh, but they don't want to look too hard on anything the founding fathers actually said uh, kind of and, and believed and the people that informed their beliefs. Uh, because then we, we might understand that maybe maybe uh, those in, in 1776 uh, were not looking at liberalism or liberty the same way that we look at it in 2023. So back to our thread here. If those values are held tightly, then the government will only be able to suspend them for the shortest of time and in the most dire of situations. If they are held loosely, they can be violated regularly and with the thinnest pretense. Again, people got mad at this because they thought I was saying it's fine to do that. That's not what I was saying. I was explaining the mechanism by which they get violated. So what's, what's a modern day example? What's a, what's a hard and fast example we can reach for right now about how this dynamic works? Again. Let's look at the pandemic versus this gun control thing, right? People did not hold their individual biological autonomy, their physical autonomy sacred. They had been put in a place where they didn't think it was sacred. And so they were fine with being told that they had to wear these masks, that they had to do all this stuff, that they had to you know, be six feet apart from each other, that they had to shut down their businesses, that they had to shut down their churches, not their strip clubs or their abortion clinics, but, you know, specifically the things uh, that, that the political enemies of the regime like. You had to shut down all of these things because of the pandemic, right? Th those were the things, and people complied. Not everybody, you know, I'm very lucky. I live in, in the free state of Florida. Whatever you feel about Ron DeSantis's presidential run, he has my eternal gratitude and a good bit of my loyalty specifically because he spared me and my family and my community from living through the hellacious uh, kind of time that many people had during the pandemic. So it wasn't everywhere and people did stand up. But in general, Americans just weren't particularly interested in their rights. They weren't particularly interested in standing up against this stuff. And we can tell because vast majority of the country complied with this stuff, right? And we already see the efforts to do this again. We already see the efforts of these uh, you know, especially educational institutions and other leftist vanguard institutions to start re-implementing many of these lockdown procedures for whatever new strain or pandemic or whatever is supposed to be coming around the corner. So we already see this, right? So we know that using a public health emergency to suspend these rights works because people don't really care that much about them. Whether you like that fact or not, most people are just fine with the government shutting down their church. That's tough, right? That's a tough truth, uh, but but it's true, and that's the reason the government got away with it for 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 uh, a lot of different places. Now, let's look at the example of New Mexico. Right, the governor says, "I'm shutting down gun rights due uh, to something I don't like, and I'm going to use this public health emergency again." Very similar mechanism, you know, executive power being exercised without legislative oversight, without judicial review, forcing an immediate shutdown of a constitutional right. But this situation looks different. It looks like the people are disagreeing. It looks like the sheriff refuses to implement this. Why? Well, people care more about their gun rights, man. That's just true. People are more willing to fight over this than they are all their other rights. Now, I, my question would be, what good are these rights if you know, you're, you're going to comply with all this other stuff? Like The whole point of the Second Amendment is to protect all the other amendments. If if you concede every other amendment, uh, then then uh, what, what good is the Second Amendment? And there's probably a really un uncomfortable conversation for conservatives and the right to have over like the safety blanket 
of the Second Amendment, how, you know, saying as long as I'm holding on to my guns, as long as I can carry my gun, then it doesn't matter what else the government can do to me because I always have this last line of defense might have kept the, you know, the American right from actually standing up against tyranny. But either way, I would prefer to you know, be able to defend my home and my family with a firearm than, and myself uh, than not. And so, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm on board with a sheriff that says, nope, I don't care about your public health order. I don't care about this stuff. Uh, I'm going to stand back. But to be really clear, like all these anti-gun groups or all these pro-gun groups, all these gun rights groups, uh, the sheriff, they all sprang into action immediately, said no, filed lawsuits, injunctions. All this stuff happened immediately. So am I saying that the government has the right or whatever to suspend constitutional rights? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the government has the ability. And not only does it have the ability and the mechanism, it will exercise it. And you cannot avoid this. So if you can't avoid this, what actually protects rights? What actually protects them? What actually holds this in check? Now, we, to be clear, we have a much longer conversation and one that might be uh, unpopular and more sticky when it comes to whether we actually have rights. Uh, rights are, are more of a construction of the Enlightenment. Uh, people who say that rights come from God, um, uh, you know, okay, but you have how much, you know, feel free to find them in the Bible for me. Um, some of them are natural rights. Some of them are certain amount of uh, emergent uh, natural rights that come from uh, competing uh, authority structures in the Bible. But again, it's not the paper that they're written on that actually imposes those natural uh, restrictions on the government. Um, it, it's the people's willingness to push back on them. And so again, you can call those things rights. You cannot call them rights. Larger debate. The point is there are places government shouldn't go. I agree with that. But the question is what actually restricts it? And it's not pieces of paper. And it's not saying out loud, God-given rights. I have these rights. You can't do this to me. It's the actual beliefs of the people and their willingness to fight back. So in the case of New Mexico and this gun, uh, or not confiscation, but gun ban uh, in public, people are willing to fight back. And when it came to the pandemic, most people just weren't. And, you know, the, the places that they did fight back, their rights are preserved. And the places they didn't fight back, they weren't, right? And that's how the state of exception works. Um... Our regime now governs in a near constant state of exception, using almost any excuse to circumvent the, the formal procedures and protections of the Constitution. Again, this is not something I like to be true. This is not something I want to be true, but it is just is true. As we can tell, uh, you know, the government used, uh, you know, these the pandemic restriction or the pandemic excuse and the state of exception to invoke this stuff. They're trying it again here in New Mexico with this gun ban. They'll try it with global warming. They're going to try it with all kinds of stuff. They do it with civil rights stuff. That works real well. Even the right loves to just fold constitutional rights like a table when it comes to civil rights law. If you tell uh, the right that something is a civil right, uh, they they will burn constitutional rights uh, to the ground. Uh, even, even people who are uh, uh, kind of the most active and vocal on the right will pretty much uh, concede immediately if you invoke that one. But either way, the point is, that our government is always existing in the state of exception at this point, which is why it feels less and less like we're actually governed by the rule of law and the Constitution. Code would be the easy example, but we can see how the system is looking to bring back emergency powers for almost any reason. New strains of the pandemic, climate change, civil rights, war on terror, big one, obviously, with 9-11 yesterday, domestic extremism, threats to democracy. You notice they're saying that all the time, right? Now, threats to democracy. If you don't think you're not going to get states of exception due to the threats of democracy, well, great, because that's already happened. Again, 
the political opposition of, uh, you know, the, 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 the head of political opposition in the biggest party uh, in the United States uh, is, is already been indicted multiple times uh, through purely for political reasons to shut down their ability to run against the current regime. We have people in jail for making memes. We have people in jail for using their free, out, free speech outside the Capitol. Uh, that's just the truth. Uh, we are in a scenario uh, where they just use this phrase threats to democracy and then they just invoke the state of exception and they do whatever they want. And, uh, you know, the, again, terrible, but true. Any excuse to enter the state of exception and wield emergency powers because, to be frank, Americans don't really care about their rights very much and will allow the government to violate them for almost any reason. Uh, the reason the question is not will my government attempt to enter a state of exception during an emergency? They will, and there can be justified uh, reasons for doing so. So people might not like that one a little bit, but there are certain uh, there are certain rights that might need to be uh, you know suspended for a certain amount of time, right? There are just certain things that are happening that you might have to step in, right? So if there's a fire in an area, it's going to burn down everything, and you've got to create a fire break. But the only way create essential fire break is to knock over somebody's house. That's a violation of their property rights, right? But if you don't do that, thousands and thousands of other houses uh, will be burned down. Uh, thousands of lives could be lost, property damage, everything else. Now, hopefully, you know, you've got, uh, you know, you, you've got uh, these, uh, you know, you've got the Fifth Amendment. Uh, you know, you can invoke uh, the right of, I don't know uh, why I'm having a hard time remembering the thing where the government seizes your property. A anyway, uh, someone will remind me in the chat in a moment. Uh, but in imminent domain, uh, yes, okay, I remembered. Uh, but uh, the the truth is, like, there will be moments where the government just has an extreme thing and they do take action, right? Now, hopefully, there's something that you know uh, gives you a reimbursement for that. But at the end of the day, they will take that action. Now, that doesn't mean that the government always has that option. There are things that the government should just never do. Period, right? But the point is that not every one of these things is always going to be 100% all the time. And again, we might not like that truth, but it is true. Um, many of those carve-outs are in the Constitution specifically. So that's just something you should probably read. Uh, the real question is, how resilient are the beliefs of the people? How deeply do they hold their values? And are they uh, ruled by leaders that uh, share the same culture, history, and moral vision? So here's the thing, guys. People who have the same experiences as you, speak the same language as you, grow up in the same places, as you share the same religion, as you have the same history, as you watch the same TV programs, read the same books, they are more likely to have a continuity of tradition. They are more likely to stand up for certain things that your culture holds valuable. So if you have a culture full of people who share those values and share them very tightly, you are far more likely to push back against the state of exception. The state of exception is far more likely to be limited than it is when those things don't happen. Let's go back to the dictator, right? When was the dictator controlled? Rome had an office of dictator. When was the office of dictator under tight controls? When the people believed in it, when there was a strong history, a strong belief of the people and the ruling class about how that office should be used. Even in a moment where the people asked Cincinnatus, their, their remembering of this history, the remembering of this standard lapse, and they asked Cincinnatus, to become king, he turned them down because he still believed in that principle and that renewed their faith in the principle, right? So that reciprocal relationship between the ruler and the ruled, sharing the same principle of governance and how the state of exception 
should be used, held it in check. When did the state of exception fall uh, become more powerful? When did the dictatorship become more powerful in Rome? As the society expanded, as it became an empire, as more and more people who were not interested in the traditions of Rome, who had not had a long history of Rome, who were not part of the founding of Rome, who did not have any family ties to the traditions and religions of Rome, started becoming large parts and influential parts of the community. And when that became the case, dictators gained power. Dictators were able to expand the power they had, the length they could hold it until they just basically became, you know, Augustus basically assembles the principate and uh, he, he's an emperor, a king in all but name. They call him first citizen, but he, he's the king, right? And so it's about your society's willingness to push back against those things. That's what actually creates that resistance, just like in New Mexico with the sheriff saying no. And all these governor, all these gun rights, uh, you know, uh, people immediately filing lawsuits. That is the kind of action that pushes back against the state of exception. But if you don't have that, if you have lost that, if you don't have that will and that continuity of moral vision, then nothing will stand against it. And finally, emergencies will always occur. Exceptions will always arise and someone will always hold power to suspend norms. The question is, are they bound by something far more powerful than the rule of law, a sacred duty to their people and the well-being of the nation? The question is, do you have a Cincinnatus? That's the real question. Do you have a Cincinnatus? When the moment comes and the people say, we don't care about our norms anymore. We don't care about our history anymore. We don't care about our values anymore. We are willing to hand power over to you because we think you're capable and we think you're fair. And we think that living under you would be better than our current system. You can save us from these barbarian hordes, these invading armies. We're going to give power to you. And the question is, do you have a Cincinnatus that says no? Do you have a Cincinnatus who says, take this power, take it away from me? Because I don't want it. I don't care if the people have decided to walk away from the values. I'm not walking away from those values, right? If you have that, then the state of exception is controlled. If you don't have that, state of exception expands. Again, we might not like that. We not, might, may not like that truth. We don't, may not say, say that's not how it should work. You know, people should just say, I have these God-given rights. End of story. Boom, done. Everybody follows the rule. Nice. I, I would like that too. But that's not how power actually works. That's not how politics really works. That's not how constitutions really work. So if we care about protecting our liberties, our, our uh, if we care about predicting or protecting our traditions, protecting our moral vision, we have to start understanding that this is the truth about how constitutions work. Until we understand that, conservatives are just going to sit around pointing and sputtering, going, you can't do that, the constitution. But, but we'll never actually be able to defend their rights. All right, guys. So there's a bunch of super chats here. Give me one second. I'm going to drink some water because my throat is uh, very tired after that hour of talking. All right. <coughs> Let's head over to our super chats here. Thank you, everybody, in advance. Really appreciate uh, a lot of people here today, a lot of people contributing. Really appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Life of Brian here for 499. Massive blunder by the uh, New Mexico governor. She gave the right uh, an Alex Jones trial case where we can transgress the noncompliance boundary with popular support. Yeah, that, so that's actually right, right? So that's something that you should think about. In this case, the state of exception and its exercise will probably backfire. 
This is going to get all kinds of people riled up. Uh, a lot of people are going to uh, file lawsuits. A lot of people are going to donate to gun groups, though. Please don't just do that. That's many of them are barely on your side. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of people who are worked up about this. And the majority of the public is actually on the side of gun rights. This is actually a popular issue for the Republicans, something the GOP and the right in general went on when it comes to popular opinion. And so you're you're right. This is actually probably a mess up by them. Again, sad that this is what it takes. Sad that they didn't feel about like this about schools or didn't feel like this about uh, you know, uh shutting down businesses, didn't feel like this about shutting down churches. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of places where you hope this would have already come into play, but you're right. This is a sympathetic case, one that popular opinion is on the side of the right, on the side of people who are going to be pushing back against this. And I think it is a mistake for them to put that on the board because then uh, that could set a precedent where they kind of lose the ability to exercise the state of exception in that way. Uh, let's see, Frog, uh, Paul Frog for 64, or oh, sorry, Paul Frog 64 for $5. Thank you very much. Uh, Elon removed quotes from his platform. It's hidden from the menus. Uh, the ADL and other interest groups run X. Can't wait for it to collapse. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a great question, right? I saw that change today, uh, making it difficult to see uh, who quote tweets things, uh, makes it easier to hide certain groups and their activities uh, kind of on the platform and how they drive engagement, especially when it comes to witch hunts. Uh, I agree that that's a problem uh, that you have to go through you can still see it, but you have to go through a lot of menus. People aren't going to bother to. It used to be an easy one-click-away thing. Uh, it was at. It was obviously hidden for that reason. Uh, he'll probably say it's to avoid brigading on all sides, uh, but you're probably right that it's there to protect certain organizations or groups uh, more than others. That said, uh, Elon is still bringing a lot of heat against the ADL. I'm not ready to throw everything away yet uh, at this point and say that he's not. Uh, you know, he's not uh, on the side of trying to push back against these organizations. Uh, but it does feel oftentimes like Elon is speaking out both sides of his mouth or he's taking actions in two directions, uh, you know, kind of simultaneously. Uh, so I'll, I will pretty much always my my Elon opinion is pretty much always the same. He's probably not on our side, but he's probably more of an ally than an enemy. Um, I wouldn't worship him. I wouldn't trust him to always have your interests at heart. Uh, but I, I am always happy when uh, he is helping us win. Uh, and I'm always critical when he is against us and that's pretty much uh how i see elon's activities uh let's see deuce boogaloo uh for twenty dollars thank you very much sir the main problem here is a lack of deterrence over suspending rights leaders should be terrified of population backlash to the state of exception instead of leaders actively seek them out because our people are docile and submissive and yeah that's that's really a good way to kind of, uh, you know, encapsulate everything I was saying there in a longer way, right? At the end of the day, it's not uh, it's not pieces of paper. It's not words on a page. It, it's not uh, claims of rights, even rights from God that actually stop the actions and violations of a government. Uh, it's the willingness of the people to uh, push back against it. And more importantly, uh, the shared nature of those values. Uh, leaders are always going to try to push back to some extent against uh, and, and kind of generate power and space through the state of exception. But if you have a leadership that mostly agrees with you, those attempts will be less severe, right? They'll be limited, again, the Cincinnati example, they'll be limited by their own understanding. However, if your leaders are just totally against the interests of the people, which our leaders pretty much are, uh, then they will push as hard as they can over and over again, as you just pointed out there, Ben. So thank you very much. Uh, skeptical Panda for $10. Uh, they hated Oren because he told the truth. Uh, yeah, man, like I said, I, I, um, 
That made a lot of people angry here. Uh, but, uh, you know, tough. I don't know what to tell people. I'm more than happy to debate or discuss uh, this this uh, with people. But this is just the truth. This is how things are. It's not my endorsement of the state of affairs. It's not my agreement with the state of affairs. Uh, but it is an accurate uh, assessment of the state of affairs. And if you're angry at the messenger instead of what's happening, then I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, Rupert Weirdo for $2. Uh, here's Oren with his blinding optimism. Look, everyone has said, I'm the most optimistic guy. Uh, I'm the dispenser of all of the white pills. Everyone turns and in, tunes into this show. We hear that we're going to win, that uh, everything's going to be okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to tell you guys. If, if you tuned in here uh, and you expected me not, not to tell the truth about that, then I don't know what to say. All right, Thuggo here for $5. Trump was trying to kick out the temporary protective status of people from the 1990s, uh, question mark. So are you asking if he was? Anyway, El Salvador Quake and, and a Judge uh, said his policy was based on racism. Yeah, I mean, again, so often what happens is we create this state of exception and then it, it later on gets reinforced by courts. It gets reinforced uh, by, uh, you know, the, the legislature. They formalize it through legislation or it just gets uh, kind of praised in education, that kind of thing, and people kind of ignore it. Uh, so that is the problem. Uh, again, you really, uh, the the, the the problem the right has is that uh, they're, they have a regime uh, complete problem. Every every branch has, is captured in some way. Every institution is captured in some way, uh, which is why it often feels like the, the right is just playing whack-a-mole because they get the presidency and they say, okay, we're going to take this action. And then they try to hit it, but everything slips through their fingers. And then they get a hold of uh, the, the, the Supreme Court and they're like, okay, we solved that problem. We're going after all the Supreme Court stuff and they get some things, but at the end of the day, uh, they're they're still being ignored, uh, being sidestepped, that kind of thing. They get a hold of legislature. Well, nothing ever happens with legislature. They're just useless. And so uh, it often feels like they're running around, running to thing to thing. The truth is uh, that either you have a unified political will to kind of move in a particular direction, or you don't. The left has a unified political will to advance their agenda. They might have disagreements. They might have backfighting. That backbiting. They might have infighting, but the left knows that victory is the first priority, right? And once they have victory, then they can debate how power will be wielded, how it will be implemented. The right has the exact opposite effect. You can see this over and over again, right? So many people constantly just like, well, we have to have all these enemies on the right. We have to have all these people that we constantly disagree with. We have to push back on everything that isn't 100% in line with our conception or our doctrine, because if we don't do that, uh, then something bad might happen. And uh, while you're busy arguing about that, left just runs over you. Uh, and until the right is willing to say, okay, uh, we will secure power, and then we will decide how it will be used, instead of vice versa, uh, they're, they're going to constantly run into this problem. Uh, Horace uh, Lupercal, war master of the Evergreen Terrace for 199 I thought the discussion on rights was NRX 101. Yeah, in many ways it is, man. And like I said, I've kind of, I, I didn't delve too deep into kind of a larger uh, understanding of rights because, uh, you know, we only have so much time. I've talked about those in, in some way before. Maybe we'll get deeper into that in a different video, uh, but I didn't want to make this a four hour stream. Uh, so I just kind of laid out the basics on this. Uh, again, there's a larger question of kind of rights and what they mean, um, but I just wanted to put this in a framework. Everyone could understand um, even if you don't, you know, if you're not following kind of the counter enlightenment all the way down, uh, at least even if you're, you're kind of a, a surface level conservative, 
uh, you can still understand state of exception, how it's working and why uh, there, there needs to be a better grasp of constitutional government if you actually want rights uh, that you, you believe that you have to be protected. Uh, Tiny Rick here for $4.99. States of exception are the norm, aren't they? 9-11 justified the Patriot Act, COVID justified the lockdown, Trump justified lies and censorship, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's uh, exactly right, right? We, we are rolling from one state of exception to the other. Uh, you'll notice that uh, the war in Ukraine has become another center around which the state of exception is exercised. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, disagreeing with the war machine, disagreeing uh, with narr certain narratives about, uh, you know, the, the use of the military or the, uh, the exercise of power uh, across the world, the maintenance of the empire. All of a sudden, those are all threats to democracy or whatever. There's just this, they were constantly searching for the, the next state of exception. And the reason is our shared values are breaking down. And the more your shared values are breaking down, the more you need to exercise the state of exception uh, because you, you need to circumvent any of the processes that would slow down your political will, right? So our regime needs more and more power to kind of hold its inverted version of truth aloft. It can less and less rely on the democratic process to reliably produce the narratives and the votes necessary to have that power. And that means that you need states of exception uh, more and more continuously to, buy, to step beyond all that stuff and just do what you want to do. And that's why we're seeing that constantly. Uh, Tiny Rick, uh, 2008 ballot, uh, bailouts are yet another example. Yep. Again, uh, state of exceptions are, are very common. Uh, we like to believe in a rule of law, but the truth is that our government actively uh, kind of suspends rights and suspends uh, due process and suspends normal procedures all the time. And what you should really, instead of being, uh, you know, super uh, defensive about that fact, uh, you should be angry, but you should aim your anger at like understanding how and why that happens and spotting it rather than just uh, being angry that somebody pointed out that, that that's kind of how that works. Skeptical Panda, again, for $2. Thank you very much, sir. A very engaging talk. Thanks again. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Like I said, uh, I knew that this was a controversial topic. I know it's a topic that gets a lot of people uh, fired up, especially uh, people who might be a little less familiar with some of the arguments from kind of my corner of the right and my sphere. But I wanted to uh, do a longer extreme that would kind of break that down, help people to understand this. I don't think that understanding this truth is incompatible even with a conservative understanding of, of, of rights in many ways. I think it's incompatible with some of the conservative understanding of constitutions and how they work, uh, but I don't think it's com uh, incompatible with, say, uh, something like uh, the Bill of Rights. So I wanted to uh, go ahead and uh, kind of lay that out. So a broad case that everyone could grasp, uh, and then if you want to go a little deeper, there, there are plenty of videos on here uh, on my channel about Carl Schmidt, State of Exception, concept of the political, the, the sovereign sovereignty, uh, friend enemy distinction, all that stuff is on here as well. All right, guys, going to go ahead and wrap this up. But before I do, of course, please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the channel if you've not done so. Now, uh, I hear a lot of people telling me that they're not uh, seeing this stuff when it goes live. So please make sure you hit the notifications. Uh, if you don't do that, YouTube is just stupid and thinks that just because you subscribe to a stream or a show doesn't mean you actually want to watch it. So make sure that you do that. Also. I want to thank everybody. Uh, the podcast just continues to grow. Uh, it's it's well beyond the size of even the YouTube channel at this point. Uh, it's been amazing how many people are doing that. But of course, if you want to get these broadcasts as podcasts, uh, please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the Or McIntyre Show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, shout out to all my alt tech sites. 
of course i'm on uh, odyssey i'm on rumble so if you don't want to watch on those mainstream platforms uh you can make sure to watch there as well and of course everything's on blaze tv uh and uh, my columns appear over at the blaze all right guys thank you once again for coming by and as always i will talk to you next time